check, check. There we go. Amen, amen. My name is Nathan. For those of you who I have not met, I saw some new faces that came in this morning and some old faces too, some faces that I remember seeing about eight to nine years ago when I was out here for, for that summer. Um, and it just feels good to be here. Uh, we are in a vision series right now, and it's titled We Are, and it's a vision series through the book of Acts. And if you were here last week, we, uh, we went over our first word. We have four words that we believe define us as a church here at Vertical. And that first word that we went over last week was that word generous. And we, we saw that we believe God is a generous God and us being created in his image, we are created to be generous also. And the reason why I believe that Vertical exists as a church, the reason why I, th- I truly believe that we're here is to take people from this place of religion to a place of relationship. That's what I believe. And we even see that that's what Jesus's goal was. We saw that the church really left or God left this idea of his presence only being in the temple. And we see that his presence now is in millions of temples and that's our body. That we are the way that people experience God's presence now. It's, it's our body, our life, our very being. And as we approach uh, our second word, our second word being real, um, I have always been drawn to a church that feels real because I feel like if we're not careful, the church is like the number one place where we have the most potential to be fake, right? And that is not God's heart for his church. And we're gonna see that. Um, we're gonna be, you guys can ear, earmark this spot in your Bible. If you have your Bible, we're gonna be there in just probably a couple minutes. It's Acts, the end of Acts chapter four, the beginning of Acts chapter five. And we're gonna see God's heart for his church and how he longs for all of us to be real. And as I was processing this idea of being real, I was thinking about the fact that all of us at one point in time have lied. And we've been called liars. We've called other people liars. Hopefully that happened when we were younger, maybe on the playground. But if we're not careful, we can never grow out of living a lie. And I was imagining a world where we told 100% of the truth 100% of the time. Can you imagine that? I want you to think about what that would be like in your world right now for just a quick second. I think that we would have a lot of hurt feelings. I don't know if you would have any friends. I don't know if we would have a lot of marriages. I mean, 100% of the truth, 100% of the time. Do we do that? I know you're in church, but please don't don't call yourself out just yet, right? I remember one time... um, my wife, Andrea, she came home and she always had this long, dark, beautiful brown hair. And she opened the door and she completely surprised me with a new haircut. And she's smiling from ear to ear to see how she surprised me. And she, she's like looking at me, just grinning. And she's like, what do you think? And men, I do not advise this, okay? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a knee-jerk gut reaction. And I was caught off guard, mind you. I had no idea she was getting a haircut. She told me she was going to get her nails done. She came back with a haircut. And I looked at her and I went, oh my gosh, what did you do? (laughs) And I said, no, I don't like it. And she just, instantly the air went out of the room and she did too, right? (laughs) This is a true story. You can ask her. And I was mortified after. Here's the reality of the situation. She could do whatever she wants to her hair, right? That's not my decision. But what do we do in that situation? 
Honey, do you like it? Uh, yeah, it looks great. I love it. It's so cute, right? Spunky, it's so you. <laughs> the men are like, yeah, exactly, that's what we do. We lie. We lie. And how about this? I got, you got to love this. Have you ever been in a dating relationship? And you've gotten to the point in the relationship where you just know that this person is, is it's not working out. They're not the one for you. And so you start to rack your brain with all the things that you can come up with to try to let this person down easy. And here, it's the classic, right? It's not your fault. Actually, it's not even about you. It's about me, right? I'm the problem. It's me. You hear that line? You're actually a great person, and any girl would be so lucky to have you. You deserve someone who's going to appreciate you for who you are. And that's just not me. And I'm like, you're lying. Just tell the guy you don't like him. It's okay to tell him that you don't want a man who's going to place more of a priority on his fantasy football league and video games, right? Just tell him that. You can say, I want a man who's going to lead my future family well one day and who's going to prioritize God and church. You can say that. Stop lying. Or they hit him with the classic, right? God is just calling me into a season of singleness. Stop. <laughs> Do not manipulate the Lord because you are a coward. <clears throat> I've been fascinated with this whole idea of why we lie. And I was even asking the question of, of why. Why is it that we lie? From a young age to an old age, maybe, maybe many of us, we still catch ourselves telling white lies today. Psychologically speaking, what are the reasons why we lie? And there's two main reasons that I've, I've come up with in my study this week. We lie to protect. Lying is a defense mechanism. This is why we lie. So the first reason why we lie, it's to protect ourselves from the pain we think we will experience from telling the truth. That's what we do. We think it's gonna be more painful to tell the truth so it's easier for us in that moment to lie. And we're sparing ourselves of, of pain that we think that we'll experience. Or this is why also, to protect someone else from experiencing the pain that we think they won't be able to handle, right? That's why we lie. To spare someone else of the pain we think that they're gonna experience from us telling the truth. And sometimes we think that people can't handle the truth. That's why we lie. Some more reasons why we lie. It's because we don't want to be respected less or looked down upon. So it's easier for us to lie. We want to fit in. We want to feel welcomed. We want to be liked. So we lie. We want to avoid responsibility. So we lie. It's easier for us in the moment to lie than it is for us to take responsibility for that thing that we lied about. And then one of the last reasons is, we truly don't think that people care, and so we lie. How many times have you been asked, how are you doing? And you're just like, oh, I'm fine. Why do, you, why do you say that? Because you don't think that people have the time to care, right? And so we lie. Here is a very scary fact about lying, which, mind you, we've all done it at some point in our life, right? Scientists have proven from studies of our brain measuring our intellect in brain scans, the smarter the person is, the greater the potential they have for lying. I heard some of you ladies just sigh of relief, right? You're like, well, my husband's not that smart, so I don't have much to worry about. 
Here's the problem with lying. It's not so much that we do it, it's actually what it does to us. It's what it does to us. A dishonest brain is a very frantic place. It is. It's a place where no peace actually resides. And we're going to learn from today's message that an honest brain is a place of peace. Whenever we tell a lie, our brain has to go to work. It's called your limbic system, and it's a place where emotions are stored, memories are stored, and it's where fight or flight happens. Your brain goes to work to lie on your behalf. Symptoms of anxiety rise. Blood pressure elevates. It's not a good state to be in, but that's still not even the worst. It's not. The worst thing about lying is what it does to our soul and to the heart of God. That's the worst thing about lying. Here at Vertical, we believe that authenticity and vulnerability are worth the risk because there's truly too much at stake for us. We believe that every time we live an inauthentic life or live a lie or tell a lie or believe a lie, that we are sacrificing relationships when we do that. And that's the very thing that God created us for. Without that, what do we truly have? Amen? And you know the place where God cares the most about us showing up and living a real life and being authentic and, and living the truth is the church. Is the church. Because this is the place where we have the gift of the Holy Spirit and so it makes sense that God would care more because we can't place these expectations on people who don't believe or who don't have the helper that leads us and guides us in all truth and righteousness. So the church is the one place where God cares the most about us showing up and being real. But where is the one place where people show up and they are the fakest? It's the church. It's the church. It's our mission here at Vertical to create a safe enough space so that people can show up and choose vulnerability and choose authenticity and choose to be real because they feel safe enough to. And what I want us all to do now is to turn to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Oh, and I'm feeling heavy this morning because this is a heavy passage. And we're going to look at what happens when people show up in the church and they're not real. If I'm honest, this is a passage where like most preachers are like, all right, we'll skip that one. And we're not going to do that this morning. So Acts chapter 4, verse 32, pray for me. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They knew that everything they had was literally a gift from God. They were just stewards of it. So they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus is the reason why the church exists. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses, they sold them and they brought the money from the sales and they put it at the apostles' feet. They gave it to the church. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This was always the plan and the purpose for God's presence to work in this way. This is what happened in the temple, right? The temple was the place where they would distribute help to the needy. And now it's God's church, his people. And so now we have someone 
Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, which is an island off the coast of Israel. Cyprus is an island. Joseph is a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. We're going to see later in Acts that Barnabas shows up a lot. And his name means son of encouragement. Barnabas came and he sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. That's what Barnabas did. And so now we turn the page. That passage in Acts chapter 4 is directly correlated to Acts chapter 5. So now I want to continue reading. And we're going to unpack this. Acts chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and he put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings or to us, but you've lied to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Verse 6, then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire? This was premeditated. How could you conspire to test the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. The young men came in, and finding her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. All right, ushers, come forward. We're gonna take an offering now, and <laughs> now's your chance, church, to get right with the Lord, all right? I'm joking, but seriously, I'm, I, what do we do with this, right? What do we do with this? This is heavy. It's a very obscure passage. It's one that I have read as quickly as possible because I don't think I want to sit with this for, for very long. And here's one of the very first things that we learn about, and it's undeniable no matter how much we try to lie about this or, or pretend this isn't a reality. Here's the very first thing. God takes sin very seriously. God takes sin very seriously. Why? Because he loves us. That's why. That's why. You can only really truly hate something if you also know love, right? It's impossible to hate something without also knowing love. Otherwise, you wouldn't care enough to hate something if you haven't experienced love. And what Ananias and Sapphira did is they made a promise before the church, before God's people, and to the Holy Spirit that they would give the full amount of the land that was sold. And I need to be very clear here, right? I don't want to misconstrue this. The problem wasn't that they didn't give the full tithe. 
The, promise, the, the problem was that they lied about it. The problem was that they lied about it. That's the problem. And it's not just that they lied about it. It was a premeditated lie. They had to plan for it, prepare for it. And then they executed it. And even after they were caught, there still was no confession. Have you ever caught someone a lie and then they just lie again to try to get out of it? It's crazy, right? I can't wait for those days. My son is so innocent right now. And I'm just like, you're the sweetest thing ever. But about two years old, I know you're about to turn a corner, right? I've talked to parents. I've seen it. There are three, and I'm, I'm sorry to bring, I, I love this. Pastors are more than just pastors, right? They're also psychologists. They are anthropologists. They study psych psychologists. They study human behavior. We have to be, we have to be everything, right? It's, it's a lot of work. And so as I'm learning about this, I'm learning about the brain and how the brain works. There are three key parts of our brain that go to work in order to tell a lie. It takes a lot of work to tell a lie. First, the frontal lobe, which is the area that actually makes decisions for us. That's where it goes first. And so our frontal lobe actually has to suppress the truth. This happens to every one of us when we tell a lie. So the frontal lobe suppresses the truth. Second, the limbic system, which is that place that pulls from memories. Did you know that your brain actually has to go to the memory that is being called upon and you have to think about the true memory and how to contort it to turn it into a lie? That's wild. So not only do we suppress the truth and then our memories go to work to then work in our favor now to tell a lie, then our temporal lobe is responsible for retrieving the mental imagery and our brain is busy, busy, busy. It's far more peaceful when we tell the truth because our brain isn't in this frantic state. Our heart isn't unsettled and ridden with anxiety. And then I, I was just processing this and I asked myself the question, why does this matter so much to God that we see that his, his judgment, I tried to read around this, right? I'm like, all right, lying elevates your heart. It elevates blood pressure. They probably just had a heart attack, right? Like God didn't really kill them. Surely like God didn't kill them for telling a lie because what's God gonna do to me, right? I mean, I've told some lies before. And no matter how many times I try to read around this, God is a holy God. And as much as he is loving, he is also just. And this was God exercising his judgment in his church. I'm not gonna pretend that it wasn't. And so we see that it matters because God is holy. God is light and in him there is no darkness, none at all. And then God's word says, be holy as I am holy. And then number two, God doesn't give us these ways of living arbitrarily. It's not just so that he can be a taskmaster. It's not just so that he can punish us. It's not. It's because he wants what's best for us. Do you know what lying does to our soul, to our humanity? It deforms us. We've talked a lot about spiritual formation. There's also spiritual deformation. It's possible to be deformed. And the more that we lie, the more deformed we are as a human being. God created us to live out an abundant life, life to the full, life that is fully human and fully alive. And we see that when we don't do this, 
we live in a way that actually deforms us. We live less than what it means to be a human. There's this quote that I love, and it comes from Soren Kierkegaard. And this is God's heart for his people. God wants us to become fully alive. He wants us to embrace who he has created us to be. And when we lie, we do the opposite. Kierkegaard says this, he says, with God's help, I shall become more of myself. This is God's heart for humanity. When we come into this world, all of us have a self. It's the very self that God knit together in our mother's womb and he created us to be. And then we see when we live for long enough as a self, what, what entered into the hearts of humanity in Genesis and it still enters into our hearts today. Very, after, very quickly after we were born, we experience shame. We experience shame. This is why Adam and Eve hid, right? So we have a self, we experience shame. Shame tells us that we're not enough, that we're not worthy, that we're a failure. And because of that, what do we do? We cover up. We cover up. And this is the process for all of us as human beings. Self, shame, costume. It's Halloween, October, right? Figured might as well play on that. But it's serious. What we do is we cover up because the shame is so much for us to bear and then it's easier for us to live a lie. And this happens in many different ways. And I want you to go to this place, please. Please go here with me. I want you to think about what growing up as a kid was like for you. I can remember, and this is me being honest about myself. I remember in elementary school, I was taught that the person who sat the quietest at the desk with their hands folded before lunch, they would get to line up first. You remember we would cross our hands and we would like sit there just like this? Anybody remember that? Is that just me? And the quietest, best behaving kid got to go line up first and go to lunch. So what did that teach me as a kid? If I can just look good for the teacher, then I'm gonna be rewarded. And we, we, we don't notice it, but it, we start to cover up who we really are through behavior modification. Or I know those kids who are just class clowns. Like you, you're gifted and you're, you're naturally funny, but you learn from a young age that when you make people laugh, you get applause. And so you feel validated as a human being. And so you start to cover up with this comedian uh, costume. And if you're humorous and funny and you make people laugh, then you're worthy of being there in that moment, whatever it is for us, right? We're taught from a young age to provide for yourself, to go out, make a living, work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? Whatever it is. Or some things could have happened that told us that we weren't enough growing up. And so because of that, we covered up. It was too painful. And we wore a costume. And here's the biggest problem. It's not that we tell lies. That's not even the biggest problem. It's that we live them. That's the biggest problem. It's that we live them. We settle for living a lie rather than risking vulnerability in order to become who it is that God has created us to be. We settle for living a lie rather than risking vulnerability in order to become who it is that God created us to be. I need you to, to like circle this in your Bible, make a note. Ananias and Sapphira, this is the problem. They didn't wanna be who God created them to be. How do we know this? They wanted to be just like Barnabas. Go there with me. 
Acts chapter 4, the end of the chapter. Who comes and sells their land and gives the full tithe, just like he said he would? It was Barnabas. And so then Ananias and Sapphira see what Barnabas did, and they go, oh, we want to be just like Barnabas. So we're going to sell our piece of land, and we're going to bring the full amount to the church. And in reality, they lied to the church. And they were so focused on being like Barnabas, probably because they wanted to be liked, they wanted to be accepted, and they kept some of the money back, and they lied to the church, to the Holy Spirit, to God about the full amount. And Ananias and Sapphira wanted to be just like Barnabas. And this is the problem. When we come to church, it's, we shouldn't look around and be like, well, I want to be just like them, right? Don't for a second think that just because I'm up here on stage and I'm the pastor that I am the model example. I'm not. Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus is the model example. You shouldn't want to be like anybody else but Jesus. Amen. And here's the problem. Ananias and Sapphira experienced it. We experience it every day. Being real is scary. It's terrifying. But it's not scarier than living a lie. And I grew up and I would see people that just lived a very authentic, real human life. You ever bump into those people and you're just like, man, what is it about them? They don't care what other people think. They're truly just themselves. And that wasn't me for a lot of years. It's still something that I, I actively have to work on. And I, I fell into believing the lie that some people just were more real than others. They were just born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know why that commercial <laughs> just came into my head. I'm sorry. Speaking of covering up, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> my wife is like, what are you doing, Nathan? Shut up. Um, where was I? Where was I? We think that being real is something that we're born with. It's not. Newsflash. That's not an, it's not a good excuse for you. It's not a good excuse for me. Being real is something that we have to choose every single day. And I love Brene Brown. I read a lot of her books because she has wrote extensively on shame. And this is what Brene Brown says about authenticity. She says, it's not something that one person has and one person doesn't. No. She says, authenticity, being real, is a collection of choices that we have to make every single day. It's about the choice to show up and be real, the choice to be honest, the choice to let our true selves be seen. Did you know the word courage is a heart word? Courage isn't this act of chivalry where a lot of us are just waiting for that one day where we get to be courageous. That's not courage, right? It's not. Courage isn't jumping in front of the vehicle to save the old lady walking across the street. That's not courage. Do you know what courage is? Cur means heart in Latin. And courage means the ability to share your whole heart. That's what it means to be courageous. We see that God wants us to share our heart. He doesn't want us to cover up. He doesn't want us to live a lie. He doesn't want us to wear a costume. So much so that God does give us ample opportunities to be real. Even in this passage, Sapphira was given an opportunity to be real. 
in verse 7, it says about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, he said, tell me, is this the price you and, 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 and Ananias got for the land? And it said that she had full knowledge that her husband held some back. And she replied, yes, that's the full price. And Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Did you know that it's possible to grieve the heart of God? I think that for, for myself, I'll speak for myself, growing up in this religious environment, I felt like I was more of a robot. It was like, do this in order to receive that. And I forgot that God has a heart, that God's spirit can be grieved. His spirit can be broken on behalf of humanity. And it's possible as a believer to grieve the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 24, it says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. This means everyone else who doesn't believe or have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're not called to live like the rest of the world in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life that we all have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put it off with your old self, which is being corrupted with its lies, deceitful desires. And it says that Ananias and Sapphira, their heart was filled by Satan. Did you know that Satan is trying to fill our hearts and our minds with lies, telling us that it's easier to live a lie rather than risk vulnerability? That's what Satan is telling us. It's a lie. Put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says this. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. So this means that it's possible to be a believer, to have our salvation sealed to look forward to the day of redemption and it's still possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this isn't a religion, it's a relationship. I, I need all of us to understand that. Well, uh, God will forgive me, right? Of, yeah, of course he will forgive you if you ask for it, right? I remember talking to someone and, and they were just like, why, why do I need to ask for forgiveness? God is good, he's faithful, he'll always forgive me. I'm like, hey, Next time you offend your wife and hurt her feelings, I want you to live with that same mentality. Well, my wife is good, right? She's just, she's always forgiving. I don't need to apologize. How long is that gonna last? Not for very long. The relationship won't last for very long. It's the same with the Lord. If it's possible to grieve the heart of God, then that means that we have to come before the Lord and we have to tell him we're sorry. That means we have to ask for forgiveness because it's a relationship, it's not a religion.
And do you know the scariest thing about lying? This is scientifically proven that the more that we lie, the longer that we live a lie, the less sensitive we are to the guilt, the less sensitive we are to our moral compass. Eventually, it's possible to lose all sense of, of guilt and remorse the more we continue to walk down this road of living a lie. And this is the scariest part, is that we lose the ability to truly connect with both God and with others the more that we wear this costume. And that's the real tragedy. But there's hope, there's always hope. If we're real, then God will heal. If we are real, then God will heal. If we're not real, then God won't heal. It's not that he can't heal, it's that he won't. I know there's people in the room right now that think the moment you open up and that you're real, that people will like you less and they'll judge you more. And I want to just plant this flag right now in our church that that will never, ever happen at Vertical, ever. The moment you open up, people are not gonna like you less and judge you more. That, that is a normal thing, but not within this church. And when we're caught in that trap, you know what we're doing? We're looking around just like Ananias and Sapphira did at Barnabas. And we're looking around and we're so fixated on the opinions of everybody around us that we forget that God doesn't care about the opinions of everyone around us, he cares about our heart. And so what do you need to care about? Your heart. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse seven, it says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. Church, don't consider their opinions or their likes, for I have rejected them. The Lord doesn't look at these things. People look at these things. People look at the outward appearance. People care about other people's opinions. Not so with the church. Not so with the people of God. The Lord looks at the heart. It's okay to not be okay. God will meet us in that place if we're real and honest. It's not okay to not be okay and to be alone in it. It's not. That is not okay. To hide in it, to wear a costume, to try to cover our brokenness, that's not okay. When we hide, who we really are, we end up hurting those we really love. Why? Because we kill any potential for real intimacy and connection, the very things that we were created for. And the divide gets larger and connection gets harder. Do you know what shame loves? Shame loves secrecy. Shame loves hiding. Shame can't stand being shared. 
This is why it's so important to tell our story. This is why here at Vertical we believe that my story matters. This is why at Vertical we wanna create a safe space so that you have an opportunity to be real, to be honest, to show up as your real self. Church, I wanna ask you to stop trying to cover up your own brokenness. You can't do it, you can't. I wanna ask you, church, to come out of hiding, to take off the costume, to stop living a lie. There's too much at stake. And this is what we need to do as a church collectively. We need to let the love of God cover up our brokenness because it's God's love that covers over every offense, amen? And you know how God does that? Through his church, through people, because this is a relationship, it's not a religion. And so this is what I wanted to do, church, as we get ready to, to end our time. I wanted to ask everybody to stand with me. And we're gonna get ready, for, get ready for a moment of worship, but this is what I wanna do. I wanna be sensitive to how the Holy Spirit is leading you, is guiding you, is helping you in this very moment because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit leads us, guides us, and convicts us of all truth and righteousness. Conviction is not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. And I'm gonna pray for us as a church, but this is what I want us as a church to do. If you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you, and you feel like there's some things that you need to get off your heart, some things that you need to be real about, I don't care if you think it's too small. I don't care if you think it's too big. Remember that God calls us to be real. We're gonna have some volunteers and some people that are gonna come down to each corner of the room and they're gonna be ready to receive you. And if you need prayer in this moment and the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you and convicting you, I want you to act on that. I don't want us to grieve the Holy Spirit any longer. There's no prayer that is too small. There's no request that is too big. And as we enter into this next song, if that's you this morning, we're gonna have people that are down here and ready to receive you. Please just come forward. Come forward. It's your opportunity for you to be real. During this next song, please, as you feel led, come forward. I'm gonna pray for us right now and we're gonna enter into a time of worship. Let's pray. God, we come before you right now and we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, God, that you have given to every single believer that leads us, that guides us, that convicts us of all truth and righteousness. And God, we come before you right now and we pray that you would help us, that your Holy Spirit would give us the courage to not live any lies. God, where we're tempted to believe the lie that the moment that we tell the truth that we're gonna be liked less and judged more, I pray that you would remove that lie from our mind. God, in the ways that we've been tempted to cover up our own brokenness and, and for those who have been in hiding for, for, for days, months, maybe years, God, I pray that you would relieve them of that responsibility, that you would remind all of us that we could never cover up our own brokenness. 
That's what you are for. And that's exactly what you sent your son Jesus to do. God, your love covers over every offense. So now in this moment, may we let you cover our brokenness through your spirit, through your people, through your church. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for the opportunities that you give us to be real so that we could find and experience that connection that you've created us for, the relationship that we all long for. So I pray, God, that you would lead your people in this moment and that you would give every single one of us exactly what it is that we need. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen.